Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today is part one of the book of Genesis, chapters 40 and 41. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi everybody, welcome to Seeking Truth tonight for our discussion of Genesis chapter 40 and 41. We talked a little bit in our lesson tonight about the corporal works of mercy. One of those I want to focus on is to visit the imprisoned. How many people here have visited someone in prison? And don't count your kids. <laughs> well, you can count your kids. <laughs> You can count your kids. A lot of you have. That's a corporal work of mercy. That's beautiful because to be locked away in prison is quite an isolating experience. So I'm glad that a lot of you have visited prisoners. Joseph tonight has been in prison for over two years. Can you imagine? No one was visiting Joseph, but Joseph was visiting with God. 730 days plus with no hope of getting out in prison. Accused of a crime he did not commit, totally innocent, and down in a pit once again in his life. And I love being Catholic and studying Catholic senses of scripture. We study scripture like no one else. There's four senses of scripture, literal and spiritual. Tonight, I want to especially zoom in a few times on the allegorical spiritual sense of scripture, which is one of my personal favorites. But there are four senses of scripture. I won't belabor them. We've done it before. They're in the catechism at 115 to 119. If you want to read about it, I'm concerned tonight about the allegorical spiritual sense of scripture. So we're going to be looking at typology and Joe Joseph as a type of Jesus. And Joseph will be the type and Jesus will be the anti-type. And the anti-type is always greater than the type. And we call it typology. Okay, so the whole way through, think about this. St. Augustine told us this, the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. So Jesus is hidden in the Old Testament. And, and we get the luxury of looking through Jesus' lenses now because we know the rest of the story. We have 2020 vision, kind of. So this is what we're going to look at Jesus tonight. Uh, put your Jesus lenses on. In the Old Testament, Joseph's story, we can symbolically recognize the significance of the events in Jesus Christ. So Joseph, the type, Jesus, the anti-type, both of them are what? Beloved sons of the Father. Both of them have been sent away from the Father for a period of time. Both of them were betrayed, sold by their own brothers. Joseph for 20 pieces of silver, Jesus for 30. Both are innocent of any crime and they are both falsely imprisoned. Tonight, like Joseph, Jesus too was innocent of any crime, totally innocent. He was taken to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest on the night he was betrayed. He is imprisoned, put down into a pit. 
What other saints were unjustly imprisoned in the Bible? Peter was our first pope in Acts chapter 12. He's locked in a prison cell. The whole church was earnestly praying to God for St. Peter. When suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, shone light in the cell, struck Peter on the side and woke him up, said, quick, get up, and the chains fell from Peter's wrist. St. Paul was in prison many times unjustly. He told the Corinthians, I have had far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings off Often near death, five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one, the 39 lashes because 40 would kill you. So five times he had 39 whippings. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I've been shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. St. Paul did some of his best writing in prison, like we'll see next year. It was the quiet of his prison cell where he could pray and have solace with the Lord. He writes his four captivity epistles written while he was in prison. Philippians, the gospel of joy, he writes in prison. Philemon, Colossians, one of my personal favorites, and Ephesians that we'll study next year. A modern-day saint who has spent time in prison unjustly was an innocent man, Father Maximilian Marie Colby. He died at Auschwitz in the concentration camp, August 14, 1941. You know the story of Auschwitz, how the prisoners uh, came in to the prison camp. They thought it was a work camp. They were hauled in cattle cars, crowded. They'd either go to the barracks in barbed wire if they were the strong ones or the weak ones would be sorted out and herded away with the promise of a shower into the gas chamber. Uh, they had to pass other burning bodies. They, they didn't know what was going on, but they were asked to take their shoes off outside the building, told they'd be going into a room to take a shower. They got into the room. They saw there were no shower heads on the ceiling and they soon knew they were doomed to endure poisonous gas and body after body hauled out and burned. And Auschwitz is a very, I, I visited it last summer and it's, it's quite a hollow, horrible place. In three months, at least 1.32 million Jewish people died. Here's one of the gas chambers they've reconstructed there with memorials, flowers, candles, uh, where many people died. But on February 17th of 1941, this Polish Franciscan, the monastery was shut down by the German authorities. Colby and four others were arrested by the Gestapo and imprisoned and Father Maximilian was transferred to Auschwitz as a prisoner, prisoner number 16670. And uh, that was his number from then on instead of his name, 16670. He continued to act as a Catholic priest, subjected to violent harassment, included beatings and lashings. Once he was smuggled 
into prison hospital by other friendly inmates. And at the end of July of 1941, one prisoner escaped from the camp, prompting the deputy camp commander to pick 10 men to be starved to death in an underground bunker and to deter further escapees' attempts. One of the selected 10 men to die cried out, my wife, my children, and Father Colby volunteered to take his place. The guards allowed it, and the Polish Catholic priest, prisoner number 16670, replaced prisoner number 5659, Francis Gaznicek. And there is the cell where the 10 men were taken underground and starved to death. There's a memorial there today, and the placard inside reads, the cell in which, in 1941, died prisoners sentenced to death by starvation as a result of collective responsibility for escapees. One of them, Father Maximilian Kolbe, the Polish priest who sacrificed his life to save another prisoner. John Paul declared Maximilian the patron saint of our difficult century. Pope Francis just visited when it was World Youth Day in Poland. He had some time to sit in the cell of Maximilian Kolbe and pray there. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Joseph tonight finds himself in Pharaoh's prison, locked away, where he has been elevated, actually. We're going to look at the story tonight through the glasses of Jesus, through the hermeneutic lens of Jesus, the new Joseph, the antitype of Joseph. And uh, this is the final story in Genesis, the story of Joseph. So the Lord was with Joseph and showed steadfast love to him, even in prison. He was given favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in prison. So just as he had given he had, he had given, been given reign in Potiphar's house, remember? Put in charge of everything. Now he's in prison and the prison, they've, they've realized there's an anointing on this guy. His leadership skills are incredible. The way he has with people is incredible. And he's elevated in the prison to the lead guy. Whatever was done there, he, Joseph, was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him and whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it prosper. There's a real anointing on this man of God. So he's been in there two years. Time is passing. And sometime after this, the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker offended their Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with Two officers, the chief butler, some translations call him the chief cupbearer, and the chief baker. And Pharaoh put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he waited on them. And they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own meaning. And when Joseph came to them in the morning and saw them, they were very troubled. And the Pharaoh, he asked the Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces so downcast today? What's wrong? He could tell they were troubled. They said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. And this is a big G God because we're in Egypt where there are many, 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 many little G gods. 
Ra, the God of the sun, the God of the rain, the God of agriculture, the God of this, the God of that, little g gods. But Joseph's God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and now the God of Joseph. It's the God of Israel. There's one capital G God, and he gives him praise and honor for interpreting dreams. Tell me your dreams, I pray you. So the chief butler told his dream to Joseph. And he said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three bunches, branches. And as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Wow. But remember, remember me when it's well with you. And do me the kindness, I pray you to make mention of me to Pharaoh. So get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon. So please remember me. Now, let's look at the allegorical. That was the literal sense of that passage. Let's look for a minute at the allegorical spiritual sense. The symbolism recognizing the significance in the events of Christ. The antitype. The symbolic spiritual allegory. So we have a trinity of three clusters on one vine. That's the divine number three. One of the three buds will blossom and a shoot will be sent forth. We heard that in Isaiah chapter 11, that a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Hmm, who's that? Well, it's the stump. It's the Jesse tree. It's, it's the house of David, the house of Judah tribe of Judah, house of David, that'll be Mary and Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelium, the one that will crush the head of the serpent is coming from that line. A shoot will be sent forth from three and it will ripen into grapes and be crushed for wine. Hmm, which one of these three will, will be crushed for wine? Jesus said, I am the true vine. And we see pictures of Jesus, the vine on the cross. See the, the, the vine coming out his pierced side and the grapes being crushed into Eucharistic wine. This true vine is crushed for unending Eucharistic wine for the life of the world. And the old icons show us that as Jesus drips his most precious blood, the angels came uh, to, to gather every drop of his most precious blood, the Eucharistic wine from his pierced side and every wound on his body. There's a little closer. They're catching every drop of the precious blood in chalices because it becomes the wine. Crushed grapes on the third day are restored to Eucharistic wine. Okay. Isaiah, in his suffering servant verses, he said he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The Lord makes his life an offering for sin, for our sin. So in the allegorical, we look through the lens of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to literal now, Genesis 40, the literal sense. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable for the other guy, the cupbearer, he said to Joseph, I had a dream also. There were three baskets of bread on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh. 
but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief butler and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief butler to his butlership, his cup bearing. He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him for now. Remember this, Jesus, remember me. Joseph, remember me. When you come back into Pharaoh's presence, remember me. Let's look at the allegorical, spiritual sense of this passage, perhaps. We have bread and wine on either side of the true bread, the true presence, and the true wine. The bread baker, the wine bearer. Two very different servants on each side of Joseph. Two very different men on each side of Jesus. Two very different servants of the father surrounding his son, the true vine, the true bread of the cross. One is good, one is bad. Within three days, one will be restored to paradise, back to the right hand of the father. The other one will be demoted to Hades, away from Pharaoh, who is significant of, symbolic of the father, top gun. The penitent thief and the impenitent thief. Do you see it? In Mark's gospel, with him were crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. They were crucified and they reviled him. In Matthew's gospel, two robbers, one on the right, one on the left, they also reviled him. But in Luke last year, Luke gives us more clues. We read in Luke that two others also were criminals. They were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place, which was called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminal, one on the right, one on the left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up, offering vinegar, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanging railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. He's more repentant. Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingly power. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He's going to be restored within three days. Back to the right hand of the father. This is the thief who stole paradise. Two thieves. They were not named until the gospel of Nicodemus sometimes later. And they're called Dismas and Gestus. The penitent thief is Dismas. The impenitent, unrepentant thief is Gestus. You saw in the movie of the Passion of the Christ, the two thieves. Jesus looked at one on the right, or on the left, the good thief, and his name is Dismas. He looked the other way, Gustus, the bad thief. And the bad thief has the crows above him. Remember, pecking at him, it's his flesh, pecking at his eyes, just as 
the baker is going to have the bread on his head and the ravens are going to come and peck his flesh all within three days, restored to paradise or demoted to Hades. In the spiritual symbolic sense of scripture, the antitype being greater, we have God the Father is the antitype of the type Pharaoh. We have Jesus the Son as the antitype of the type Joseph. We have Dismas the good thief as the antitype of the cupbearer. We have Augustus the bad thief as an antitype of the baker. Dismas the good thief, Augustus the bad thief, and this Ancient icon shows an angel carrying the soul of the good thief, Dismas the cupbearer who accepts Christ as God. The demon spears the soul of the bad thief, Gustus the baker who mocks Christ. Dismas rebukes Gustus. He repents. He asks for Christ's blessing. Like the cup-bearing butler, Dismas is restored to the father. He's restored to Pharaoh. Jesus, is. this one is restored to the Father. He is the first saint to enter paradise. Wow. Eve is the first to sin. The first to be redeemed is Dismas. This is a painting of Eve with Dismas, the good thief. He had a baptism of desire. The Latin teaching is a teaching of the Roman Catholic Church explaining that those who desire baptism but are not baptized with water through the Christian sacrament because of First, they die. Nevertheless, they can receive the fruit of baptism at the moment of death if their grace of conversion included divine and universal Catholic faith, an internal act of perfect charity and perfect contrition by which their soul was cleansed of all sin. That's a baptism of desire. That's what the good thief had on the cross. In Catechism 1259, it tells us that catechumens who die before their baptism, at, but they had that explicit desire to receive baptism through their repentance and their sins and charity that assures them salvation that they were not able to receive through the sacrament. Say they die on the way to Easter Vigil in a car accident. They would still have the baptism of desire. Dismas rebuked Gestus. He repents and he asks for Christ's blessing and Dismas will be with Jesus that very day in paradise. And you see the old paintings. You can always look for Dismas and his cross. He's the good thief. There he is in the back of Jesus. He goes with Jesus to do what? The harrowing of Hades. To free the imprisoned spirits. To speak to the imprisoned spirits the gospel of good news. And he says, today you will be with me. And all these paintings show Dismas, the good thief, and his cross with Jesus, making it to paradise that very day. The good thief, the penitent thief, the first to enter paradise. He's painted on the wall of the Sistine Chapel where they vote for the next pope. Up on the final judgment by Michelangelo, you can find his cross and there's Dismas, the good thief, the first to enter paradise. St. Anastasia says of him, the penitent thief again is an evangelist. Oh, thou excellent one. Thou was crucified as a thief, but thou comes forth suddenly as an evangelist. He goes to preach the good news to, with Jesus to Haro Hades. St. John Chrysostom, the golden tongue, says this, the thief is now a prophet and he preaches from the cross. He's a robber and a Caesar of paradise. Thou sawest, he says, how he did not forget his former craft, even on the cross, but by his confession, he stole the kingdom. The thief purchased salvation from the tree. The thief stole the heavenly empire. He used compulsion to majesty. And below, we find no one before the thief to have merited the promise of paradise. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Moses, not the prophets or the apostles. But before all, we find the thief. He then compares the 
faith of the thief to that of Abraham, Isaac, Ezekiel, and Moses. And this because he believed in him, not in the temple, nor on his throne, nor in his glory, but as he was on the cross in his torments. He sees him, he says, in torments and adores him as if we were, he were in glory. He sees him on the cross and prays to him as if he were sitting in heaven. He sees him and he calls upon him, hailing him as king of kings, saying, Lord, remember me when thou comest into your kingdom. Thou seest one crucified, and thou calleth him a king. Thou seest him hanging on a tree, and thou thinketh of the kingdoms of the heavens. Oh, wonderful conversion of a thief. In the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, he says, But like the good thief, I cried, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Catechism 1021 says that death puts an end to human life at the time open to either accepting or rejecting the divine grace manifested in Christ. We have until our very last breath to still rob paradise. It ain't over till it's over, right? If you're hoping for someone, if you're praying for someone to come to know Jesus, keep praying. The words of Christ on the cross to the good thief speak of a final destiny of the soul, a destiny which can be different for some than for others, which is exactly what we see with the butcher and the baker. They both have uh, not the butcher, the cupbearer, the butler, and the baker. They both have different destinies, right? The good thief, here's the Byzantine cross. It has a slanted foot bar. They do that because the good thief went up, the bad thief went down. That's why it's slanted. The butler is similar to the good thief, the cupbearer, the baker, the bad thief, Gustus. It's, 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 it's a typology in the spiritual sense, the allegorical sense of scripture. Back to literal. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, sleek and fat, and they fed in the reed grass. You can count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There they are. And behold, seven other cows, gaunt and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the gaunt and thin cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. And Pharaoh awoke. What could this possibly mean? It was so vivid, so real, he was very troubled. He fell asleep again. He dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, Pharaoh's spirit was very troubled. He wants to know what this means. It was so vivid. It was so real. They were two distinct dreams. Pharaoh sent for all the magicians of Egypt, all the wisest men to tell him the dream. Pharaoh told them the dream, but there was none, no one who could interpret the dream to Pharaoh. What does this mean? Then the chief butler, ah, the cupbearer that was restored after three days. The chief butler said to Pharaoh, he's the good one. I remember my faults. He's repenting. Ah, he's the good thief. He's the repentant one. Pharaoh was angry with his servants. You put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. And we dreamed on that same night. He and I each had our dream, our own dream with its own meaning. And this young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted them to us, so it came to pass. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent 
and called for Joseph. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before the Pharaoh of Egypt, the highest, most sovereign person in all the world. Egypt's the reigning world power at the time. That was part one of the book of Genesis, chapters 40 and 41, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.